energy. So the barber trims my beard all nice, like an artist. Now, I didn't tell him to do that. I wanted the beard gone. So then I went home and shaved it off completely after I was done. I felt horrible. The passion. Rafael Devers is the biggest contract in franchise history. He needs to be a leader for this Red Sox team. The opinions on all your favorite teams. Are the Patriots close to playoff contention? Yes. Are they close to Super Bowl contention? Hell no. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Happy Celtics win Friday. Happy pre-holiday Friday. We are here on the Brady Farkas Show. We're brought to you by Fecto Homes on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. They're your home solution in Montpelier. We're here until 7 o'clock, all 90 minutes today. Red Sox baseball tonight, 8.40 pregame show, 9.40 first pitch. It affords us a full 90 minutes. You can get in as always, 802-585-3026 on the text line. You know, it's amazing before we get into the Celtics, and trust me, that's where we're going first. I was talking to Kaya and Charlotte earlier today, and I told them about yesterday's show, and I'm like, you won't believe the things that gets the text line going. Like, I could talk for an hour and a half about the Patriots, and we'd get six, seven texts. I talked for five minutes about chocolate milk, and the text line is close to as, close to as busy as I've ever seen it. And Charlotte and Kaya were like, that is amazing. I can't believe how crazy the text line got over chocolate milk. I'm like, the people who listen to the show are just as weird as I am, apparently. Because the things that get you all going, the things that get me riled up, sometimes they surprise even myself. I mean, I had overnight texts on chocolate milk today. Like, I came in, I had overnight texts on chocolate milk. Texts came in last night talking to me about chocolate milk. I'm like, this is the stuff that gets the people going, right? This is the stuff that gets the people going. And I have a question for the text line. I do this every pre-holiday show. I need to take attendance today. I need to know if you're out there and you're listening and it's safe to do so, text in 802-585-3026 because I get what's going on. Pre-holiday weekend, a lot of people are, are driving out. 5.30 now, good weather, people are outside. I want to know who is with me because we're going to talk about the Celtics and I want to know who's who's out there listening. Because if only seven people are listening today or no one texts in, then I might just pack it up and go home and watch the Celtics game over again rather than do the show. If you're out there, 802-585-3026. I always like knowing who's listening on a pre holiday show, right? I did this before Christmas Eve. I do this before Thanksgiving Eve or on Thanksgiving Eve, and I do it here on Memorial Day weekend. I hope you all have a great holiday weekend, but we do have the 90 minutes to get to. So let's waste no time, everybody. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. Peter and Williston is out there. I know that. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas Show were brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center with locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sticksandstuff.com. Peter says, yep, I'm present and accounted for. Phil in Middlesex says the, says the same. Peter says, 
I am stoked to see the Celtics force Game 7. He's already writing in the Celtics for a win in Game 6. I will tell you this right now. And if you're watching on our video stream, I'm looking right into the camera as I say this. If the Celtics force Game 7, they are winning Game 7. If you are the Miami Heat, you better win this in 6 or you are not winning it. Because I tell you what. I have Gary says I'm here. Let's go Celtics. Mike and South Hero says I'm here. All right, everybody's in. I'm confident now. This is a good cross section of our listeners. People are in, so let's go. The people are starting to talk. People can start to feel history. I can start to feel history. I'm not quite there yet on predicting that it's going to happen. Maybe by the end of the show, I'll talk myself into it. I'm not quite there yet. But people are just like me where they can feel history. You know, we can feel it knocking on history's door. And the Celtics are doing it. If you are the Miami Heat, you better win this in six. Because if you don't win it in six, you're not winning it, period. It is that simple. The Boston Celtics now have the momentum, which I believe in. Eric Spolstra doesn't. We'll talk about that in the 6 o'clock hour. They have the momentum. They've got a recipe. They've got a formula. They've got better health now on their side, and they've got home court advantage in Game 7 if they're in their pocket if they can get there. The Miami Heat certainly have a great chance at winning on their home floor in Game 6. They absolutely do. Jimmy Butler is that good. But if they don't close it out in 6, it's over and the Celtics are going to win it. And the Celtics are going to be the first team in history to come back from 0-3 down, 0-150 teams have been. The Celtics will be the first to do it if, if, if they can win game six. If you are the Heat, you should be petrified right now. You should be shaking right now. And Tim Legler of ESPN knows it too. They're in trouble. There's no question they're in trouble. Look, I'm not ready to say they have no shot of winning these, you know, game six and ending the series. Mm-hmm. Here's why they're in trouble. Though. You have guys now that are getting unleashed that were struggling. Marcus Smart was struggling. He has now found his offense. Jalen Brown, efficient tonight for the first time in the mm-hmm. series. Derek White, big production for them. Last night, a 110 to 97 victory for the Celtics. Last night was a clinic. Last night was as close to the Celtics that we thought we'd see as we have seen in a long time. The Celtics yesterday did just about everything right. Everything we asked them to do, they did. Look, We asked them to come out with energy, right? We said it's a baseline requirement. You have to come out with energy. They did that. From the first play of the game, Marcus Smart steals the ball from Bam Adebayo, dives on the floor, outlet pass, Tatum to the bucket, Celtics on the floor, diving. They wanted it more from the very first play of the game. We asked them to do that. We've asked Jason Tatum to not settle. We've asked him to get to the bucket. And boom, first quarter, he goes right to the 10, and he did it constantly. We've asked the Celtics to establish dominance early. Boom, they're up 18-5. to We asked them to play off the crowd. The crowd's rocking. They're rocking. They're flying around. Instant 13-point lead. We're six minutes into the game, and you don't look back. But more so than all that. I asked the Boston Celtics yesterday, I said, look, I expect you to come out and play hard. I expect 
you to feed off the crowd, but I asked you to do what? I asked the Boston Celtics to not crash, to not lose that energy, to not allow the, the, the heat to wilt it from 15 to 13 to 8 to 6 to 4, and now all of a sudden with six minutes left, we're in a tight ball game. Every time the Heat started to make a run, Celtics had an answer, and that's what they've needed. right? They got the big lead, but could they hold it? Yes. Miami gets it down to 10. Oh, there's a Derek White three. Miami gets it down to 12 a little bit. Oh, there's a Marcus Smart three. The Celtics did not let Miami get back into it, at least not seriously. They were able to finish it off. Last night was a clinic. They started well. They finished well, and they got contributions from everywhere. Four players for the Celtics had more than 20 points yesterday. Tatum, Brown, White, Smart, no players for the Miami Heat had 20 points yesterday. Zero. If you get four players with 20 and the other team has zero, I bet you 98% of the time you win the game. The Celtics didn't just win it. They controlled it. Everything we wanted them to do, they did. I, I could not be happier with how the Celtics played yesterday. And I give the Celtics credit here because they were able to win in a way that I, I didn't think they were going to be able to win again. I told you the Celtics have three formulas to win games four, five, and six. One formula is everybody contributes. Check mark. They did that in game four. I thought game five and six had to one of them be the Jason Tatum game and one of them be the Jalen Brown game. Well, apparently not. Yesterday, again, was an everybody game. Four players in double figures. Derek White, six threes. Marcus Smart, four threes. 16 threes as a team. They did not rely on one person. They were all hot. They all passed the ball well. Good ball movement, ball movement passed up good shots for great shots. When the Celtics play that way, they are really good. When the Celtics play that way, they are far better than the Miami Heat. And when the Celtics play that way, they should win game six, and they should win game seven, and they should pull off history. Look, the streets are talking. The streets are excited about the Celtics. Again, I don't know that they're actually going to do it, but I can tell you that I'm starting to feel like it's really, really possible. When they play this way, they are indefensible. Undefendable? Indefensible? They can't be guarded when they play this way. And a beaten down Heat team cannot guard them when they're playing this way. It's a Heat team without Tyler Hero. It's a Heat team without Gabe Vincent. It's a Heat team without Victor Oladipo. With those three, just maybe the Miami Heat could beat the Celtics. Without them, the Celtics are better, and the Celtics absolutely, if they come out and play like this again, they got a chance to send it back to Boston. And if they do send it back to Boston, this series is over, and the Celtics are going to win it. If Miami doesn't win in Game 6, they're not winning it, period. Texter, uh, Kevin in Duxbury says, let's go Celtics. I agree with you. Peter says, I was impressed with how many steals the Celtics forced last night. You look at it, the Celtics ended up with 13 steals. That's double what Miami had. I mean, look across the board. Celtics shot 51%. So did Miami, largely even, but 
Celtics had 16 threes. Miami had nine. Advantage. Celtics hit 14 free throws. Miami hit eight. Advantage. Celtics got to the line 19 times. Miami got their 10. Advantage. Celtics out-rebounded Miami by one. Advantage. Celtics had three more assists than Miami. Advantage. Seven more steals. Two more blocks. They committed. They had seven less turnovers, and they committed four less fouls. Everything you want the Celtics to do, they did. It's that simple. And I got to give the Celtics, I got to give Jason Tatum a lot of credit. A lot of credit. It's a guy that everybody's been harsh on, myself included. I've told you, I don't want to be harsh on him because I see the numbers are so good. But when you're the best player and you're about to make $318 million, that comes with a degree of responsibility. I feel like I've tried to hold Jason Tatum to that level of responsibility. He was awesome last night. He was not perfect, but I thought this team needed him to go for 40 for them to win last night. He was a playmaker. He was a playmaker. He was not just a score. He wasn't Jason Tatum. If I'm not scoring, I'm not doing anything. He had 21 points. He had 11 assists. He had eight rebounds. He nearly had a triple-double. He was only one of six from three. So again, it wasn't perfect. They need him to be better there if they want to win this ultimately. But he was a playmaker. He got to the lane early. He is set. He helped set the tone. Him getting to the bucket, kicking out for others, created them wide open shots. I mean, Derek White doesn't get wide open shots if Tatum's not creating them in some cases. Marcus Smart doesn't get wide open shots if Tatum's not creating them in some cases. It's like we talked about the other day. Everything works in concert with each other. Celtics hit 18 threes in game four. Celtics hit 16 threes in game five. That allows you, of course, on the obvious, it allows you points, which are important, but it allows your defense to get set up. And when your defense gets set up, you can more easily play defense, and then Miami has a harder time scoring. They miss. When they miss, you get in transition. When you get in transition, the shots become a whole lot easier to knock down because one team is scrambling, one team is flat-footed, and you've got all the momentum going forward. And that's exactly what's happened the last two nights. That is exactly what has happened the last two nights. Mark in Essex, I love... The way the Celtics played, I feel Robert Williams needs to be on the court more, though. Your thoughts? Um, I look at Robert Williams, and he played 18 minutes yesterday. He was 3 of 3 from the floor. I think Robert Williams is a big part of this team. And yesterday, it worked, right? Al Horford only had 6 points, but he played 29 minutes. Celtics went a little bit smaller yesterday, and they pushed the pace, and they ran. If that is the best way to play, then Robert Williams is not needed as much, right? If it's mainly a perimeter game, and I'm not going to question strategy. I'm not an NBA strategist. I think Robert Williams is a big part of this team, but Miami doesn't have, outside of Adebayo, does not have a big post presence. So if you can find a way to control Adebayo, you don't necessarily need Rob Williams, I want him, but if it becomes a track meet and Al Horford's better for a track meet, then I'll live with that. Uh, 
Texter says, watch out for Jason Tatum in a game seven. That could be a that could be the Jason Tatum game in a closeout opportunity. Could be. He does seem to rise to the moment when the back is against the wall. Dan says, chocolate milk is the only reason I went to school. Right there. Uh, you, you, that That's it right there. The people that want to get rid of chocolate milk from schools, I, I don't know how to talk to you because you've forgotten what it's like to be a kid. Okay? I'm still kind of a kid, so I remember. Chocolate milk is great. School lunches largely stink. Chocolate milk does not stink. Chocolate milk is the best. And there would be times where I would bring my lunch to school and I would want a chocolate milk from the school because it was the only thing worth having at the school. Chocolate milk is that delicious. And how many kids will not drink milk, period, if they're not allowed to have chocolate milk? So I'm for dairy farmers. I'm for milk in schools, white milk, chocolate milk, strawberry milk. Have them all in schools, but don't start taking them away. I'd rather, I'd rather you add them all than take chocolate milk away. Texter says, Dan with the text of the week, chocolate milk rules. Chocolate milk does rule. It absolutely does rule. In the spirit of yesterday with the chocolate milk, I was going to wait until the end of the show to bring this up, but I'm going to tell you why I think I have a new career on my hands. This just came to me yesterday. I think I have a new career on my hands. I'll tell you about it next. In the spirit of yesterday's chocolate milk debate or talk, I will tell you about my potential new career. That's next on the Brady Farkas Show, brought to you by Fecto Homes. Back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on WDEV AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. I wasn't going to take the show off the rails until the end of it, but since we have you know, some time here. Uh, I'm going to take it off the rails right now for a moment and tell you about, I think I have a new career on my hands. Texter says, guess is that you're thinking of starting a custom chocolate milk brand to sell and supply exclusively to every grade K through 12. That's not true. All that would be a good idea. Um, I think I have a career on my hand as a pickup basketball scorekeeper. That's right. I think my net, my sec, if I ever had a second job, I think my second job could be pickup basketball scorekeeper. I have never understood why some people, when playing basketball, cannot remember the score and why the score always becomes a huge point of contention. Now, look, I am loud. I like to talk. And... You already know I keep track of my stats, so I'm generally thinking about numbers. Maybe that's why I'm so good at it. But people have the damnedest time trying to remember the score of pickup basketball. So I was playing every Thursday in the men's league in Essex, right? Great league, right? Essex Parks and Rec or Essex Junction Parks and Rec. My guy Dennis do a great job running the league. Absolutely awesome. My team lost in the semifinals. So the final was last night. So what happened was the finals going on on one court. A bunch of guys from the league got together and said, hey, our teams are out, but we want to play. The gym is the gym is here. So let's just go play pickup. So the championship game's going on court A. We're playing on court B. I have always been the guy, always, that that keeps the score in my head, and then I'm loud enough. I, I say it like every time the bucket scored. Every time I'll say the score. Okay, hey, 
It's 2-1 offense. Bucket goes in. Okay, it's 3-2 defense now. Hey, what's the count, Brady? Yeah, it's 5-4. Like, that's always been me, and I'm always really good at it. But invariably, despite me saying it every single play, the score is always questioned. Right? So, like, and people can never remember it. And I'm always, like, amazed, like, when I'm not on the court, how nobody knows what the score is. Like, I know the score better than you do when I'm sitting by the water fountain. Right? Like, so, I'll say, hey, it's 7-6 defense. Defense will hit a, th- you know, will hit a three. Okay, now it's 9-6. And someone will go, oh, it was, it, it's 8-6. I go, no, it was just 7-6 when I said it. Now we've hit a three. That's where two points are. Now it's 9-6. I just said this. Or I'll tell people, hey, it's 3-1, okay? Offense has three. Defense has one. So what's the score? Who's winning? Like, are you people not paying attention? Does I have never understood. Somebody please help me. This is legitimate cry for help. 802-585-3026. Why can no one ever remember the score when they're playing pickup basketball? Why is it that there has to be like one guy who's the gatekeeper of the score and that guy has to be me? I don't understand. Okay, this is not the NBA. It's not like we got to remember this play and that action and this guy's got to go here and that guy's got to go there and we got to exploit that matchup. Like, we're just running up and down, firing shots at the hoop. There ain't a whole lot of other strategy that's got to go on on here. The only time I could ever accept the score being forgotten is when no one can score for a while and it's been five minutes since we've had a bucket and even I've forgotten what the score was at that point. That's the only time I can find it acceptable. But I think second career for me could be pickup basketball scorekeeper because every pickup game I've ever played in, no one seems to be able to remember what the score is. Does anybody else run into this or is it just me and the people I play with? Because it's been happening to me for 20 years. Heck, even when I was like 15 and I would play, I was 15. I would play with the 25 year olds, right? I'd play with, I'd run with the older guys at the Y. And everybody would argue what the score. It was just 4-3. What are you talking about? It's 6-3. Well, it was just 4-3. We hit it 3. Now it's 6-3. What are you talking about? Why are we fighting? And then someone will say over and over again, well, it's 6 nothing. It's 6 nothing. It's 6 nothing. And then a 3 will go up. It'll say, it's pretty obvious it's 6-2. to two. What are you talking about? You didn't have 6. You only had 4. And then everybody's got to go and count and go, well, hey, I've got 2, and I've got 2, and I've got 2. Oh, I guess we really did have 6. Every time I play pickups, Texter says they would count better if they drank chocolate milk. That's probably true. Brain food, brain drink, brain beverage, chocolate milk. I'm sure it is. Chocolate milk is the goat of drinks, and I'm apparently the goat of basketball scorekeeping. I, I, I don't know. I just don't know. I've never understood it. This, and the score leads to more men's league confrontations or more pickup confrontations than ever because no one believes what the score is. Despite the fact that it's been bellowed out every play, no one ever believes what the score is. You sure? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, you really hit a two there? Or was that a one? Your foot on the line? Well, I don't know. Did you ask me about that seven minutes ago when I said it was a two or not? Call your own fouls is the thing that leads to the biggest confrontations, I should say. Scorekeeping is next. 
No one ever believes the scorekeeper. No one ever believes. And then, like, it'll be, then I'll be, then you have the guy who I'll say what the score is, and then they'll try to add on to the score just to help themselves. Like, you know they're cheating. Like, hey, buddy, I just said it was 7-3. Yeah, you scored a two-point bucket. It's not 10 now. It's 9. So don't try to cheat. But there are those people out there, and we all know them. Everybody has played with a guy like that. So, 802-585-3026. I didn't play that well yesterday. I, I shot okay. You know, good to get out there, but didn't shoot that great. Kept the score well. Kept the score better than I shot. We had one kid who was on fire yesterday. And I tell you, this kid was this kid was buckets. He was on my team, which was great. I kind of like when I'm the guy that's buckets, though. I'm I I kind of like when I'm the guy who's shooting lights out. This guy wanted the ball all the time because he was, and I I would want it too if I were him. He was that hot. But I kind of like when I'm the guy who's on fire, and my teammate was on fire. It was a different situation for me. I like being the guy to shoot whenever I want. I had to defer to this kid because he couldn't miss. Um. You people don't – no one on the text line agrees with me about this, by the way. No one seems to think that the scorekeeping is ever an issue. But if you don't think it's an issue, you're telling me every game you ever play in in your life, every pickup game, the score is fine, and everybody just – it's just all copious about – copious? Is that the word? Copacetic about what the score is? You never argue about it? I don't believe you. You people that are telling me there's no problem with pickup basketball scorekeeping – I do not believe you. I've been playing pickup basketball for 30 years. Well, for 25 years. 20 of them playing against grown men. The score is always a problem. And I decide, I've just decided to take it on myself to be the guy who keeps the score. And I scream it out on every play. So hopefully it doesn't become an issue. And yet it still becomes an issue at times. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. There you go. Texter says, scorekeeping and pickup hoops games is super sketchy and biased. Same with foul calls. Of course it is. That's why I do it and try to stop all that from happening. But, you know, and I think I do a pretty good job of it, trying to police the situation. Patriots have one chance now to get a whole lot better before the offseason ends. One shot. Will they take it? They absolutely should. We'll talk about it next on DEV. Hear your opinion on the sports stories of the day. Text in at 802-585-3026. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show brought to you by Fecto Homes here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. Good call just came in from our guy, JD, who wanted to talk about chocolate milk. Everybody wants to talk about chocolate milk today. I, I Seriously, I could do the whole show on chocolate milk, and it would apparently be better than if I just talked about the Celtics all day. We are going to get back to the Celtics in a little while, though. Um, but I have to say this. The New England Patriots have been given a gift. DeAndre Hopkins has been released by the Arizona Cardinals. Released by the Arizona Cardinals. He is now free to sign with any team in the NFL. You do not have to, do not have to give him anything but money. 
right? If you if, I, if the Patriots had to trade a second round pick for DeAndre Hopkins, I probably wouldn't wanted to do it, right? Too old, too many question marks, etc. If the Patriots had to give up a second and a fifth, I wouldn't want to do it. If it's just about money, then I want to do it. DeAndre Hopkins is now a free agent. He costs you nothing but money. If the New England Patriots want to seriously show us that they are here to contend in 2023, they will go out and they will get them. They will get him and they will make this happen. DeAndre Hopkins is not what he once was. DeAndre Hopkins is not a guy who's going to have 110 catches for 1,500 yards. That said, DeAndre Hopkins last year, he served a six-game suspension. He only played nine games last year. He had 64 catches, nearly eight a game. He had 717 yards. Guess what? That would have been by far the, the, the on pace for the, most, for, the, for the best receiver the Patriots had. DeAndre Hopkins played nine games. He had 67 catches. Jacoby Myers played 14 games, had 67 catches, and that led the team. Actually, Ramondre Stevenson led the team out of the backfield. Nonetheless... In nine games, he is he was as productive catch-wise as Jacoby Myers was. Yards-wise, Jacoby Myers played played 14 games, had 804 yards. DeAndre Hopkins played or played 14 games, had 804 yards. DeAndre Hopkins played nine games, had 767. DeAndre Hopkins being in New England makes the Patriots better. Not only better, much better. The Patriots need help. Mac Jones needs help. DeAndre Hopkins can provide it, and it costs you nothing but money. You've got to find a way to make this happen if you're the Patriots. And DeAndre Hopkins wants to win a title. I think DeAndre Hopkins knows the Patriots right now are not in a position to win a title. So you may have to overpay to get him. I don't care. You need something offensively. I look at the Patriots and I say, all right, if DeAndre Hopkins is here with Devontae Parker and and Juju Smith-Schuster and Tyquan Thornton, well, now we're starting to talk about something that's that's more exciting. Now we're starting to talk about something that's more palatable. Now we're talking about an offense that might be able to do something. The Patriots need to find a way to make this happen. Unfortunately, I don't think they're going to be able to because I think what Hopkins wants is either absurd money, which I don't think the Patriots will give, or he wants a chance to win a Super Bowl, which I don't think the Patriots have. So I don't think the Patriots will make this happen, but they need to try their damnedest. They have been given a gift. DeAndre Hopkins is a Hall of Fame wide receiver, and though he may not be that player right now he's still largely better than a lot of what they have I mean look I told you yesterday Patriots are ranked the 11th best team in the AFC by ESPN's metrics they have the 20th best quarterback in the NFL according to Chris Sims if you want to overcome that if you want to improve upon that you need some juice and guess what all the other chances for juice are gone free agency is gone The draft is gone. The big trade market is gone. This is the thing that's been handed in your lap. 
And you know what? If it's not you, it's going to be one of your rivals, and you're going to be screwed even further. The Kansas City Chiefs want DeAndre Hopkins. The Buffalo Bills want DeAndre Hopkins. The New York Jets might want DeAndre Hopkins. If you don't get him, he very well might not even end up in your division, and he might just beat you twice this season as a result of it. Bill Belichick and the Patriots want to win, or so they tell us. Going out and getting DeAndre Hopkins is the guy that now they need. He's the only other move on the board. He is the only move on the chessboard at this point for the New England Patriots. Again, they can't make a big trade. The draft is over. Your offense is still subpar. The rest of the conference is still excellent. DeAndre Hopkins is what you need. Texter says Bill O'Brien's presence probably nixes any chances of the Pats signing Hopkins because they had such a falling out in Houston. You're probably right, unless you overpay. That's another reason you probably have to overpay. And it's another reason why you're likely not going to get him because I don't think they will. But the Patriots have been handed a gift today. They've been handed a second chance. If DeAndre Hopkins is offered $4 million a year from the Chiefs and offered $9 million a year from you, then... Then make the run at it. Okay. At least make him think about it. At least make him think about it. Continuing on with the Patriots, real quick here. Uh, Tom Curran of NBC Sports Boston must have been listening to our show yesterday. Because after the Patriots were banged the two offseason practices, right, for the extra long special teams meeting, I said, like, what exactly does Joe Judge do positively for the team? That's what I said yesterday. I was like, look, I would have gotten rid of Joe Judge. I'm not fire everybody guy, but if Joe Judge is going to cause problems last year and is going to alienate your quarterback last year and is going to cause problems in the offensive coaching staff last year and now instantly in his new role he's causing problems, I'm like, what exactly does Joe Judge do positively? That's what I said yesterday. Tom Curran is wondering the exact same thing. Was he listening to our show? I think that if I was in charge of the team or owned the business, I would go to the manager and say, is that guy really helping us a lot? And point at Joe Judge. And I would ask Bill Belichick, the manager, is he he helping us or hurting us? Because every time I turn around, I feel like he's at the epicenter of an issue that is causing the team either to have a level of dysfunction, distrust, or lose practices when it's important to have practices. So how much is he helping us? Exactly. Why is Joe Judge still here? He's still here because he's in the Bill Belichick inner circle. And that's disappointing because Bill Belichick has always told us, I will do what's best for the football team. Right? Bill Belichick was willing to cut Ty Law. And Bill Belichick was willing to cut Logan Mankins, and Bill Belichick is willing to cut future Hall of Famers, but he's not willing to cut his coaching buddy, and that's a problem. Don't don't we all agree that that's a problem? No days off. Always do what's best for the team. Put the team first, and Bill Belichick can't do it. He elevated, so Joe Judge gets fired for the New York Giants, and Bill Belichick brings him back. Okay, fine. I could reconcile that. Bring Joe Judge back. But what does he do? He brings him back, 
and elevates him into a position that he didn't belong in. He puts him on the offensive coaching staff, a job he's never done at a high level. He puts him on the offensive coaching staff. And then the offense stinks. Mac regresses. Story comes out about Mac and him butting heads. Story comes out about Judge you know, sabotaging the offensive meetings, essentially, to make himself look good, to make himself like the leader. And instead of canning this guy, Belichick just puts him back on special teams. It's a demotion, yes, but he doesn't get rid of him. Why? He apparently can't get rid of his buddy. That's not what's best for the team. Joe Judge does not belong here anymore. He is causing you more harm than good. And again, I do not call for people's jobs lightly. Your quarterback doesn't like him. Your offense struggled with him. Special teams now has been rendered a lot more moot because of the new kickoff rule. I don't necessarily need him for that. He's only here because he's Belichick's buddy. Tex says... (laughs) I think a lot of people uh, find ways to listen to the Brady Farkas show. We know Freddie Coleman does, so I bet Tom Curran does as well. I highly doubt Tom Curran listens to the show. In fact, I don't think Tom Curran knows who I am. He may. We've had mild interactions on Twitter. We're friends with Phil Perry on this show, obviously, his cohort at NBC Sports Boston. He may have heard my name, but I don't even think Tom Curran knows who I am. Um... Creighton from Winooski says chocolate milk rules better be used for future sound bites. I'm happy to still be listening to you. That was Creighton from Winooski's very first text. Must be a uh, a texter from back in the day on my old shows or something. Welcome, Cl- uh, Creighton. Very, very happy to have you aboard with us here, whether you've been listening for the two and a half years I've been here or this is your first day or anywhere in between. Joe Judge doesn't belong with the Patriots. He's causing them absolutely Nothing but problems. Absolutely nothing but problems. And it's just, it's so frustrating to see him still here simply because he's Belichick's buddy. Uh, one last Patriots thought, and then I promise you I'm done. Adam Jones of uh, WEI in Boston, who I don't typically agree with, said something else that I do agree with. Earlier today, he was talking about Mac Jones and his future. If Mac doesn't perform this year, he might not be a starting quarterback again. Right. Like it like that might sound dramatic. If Mac doesn't do it this year, he may never start again. Like consistently be given a job or or go into a year where he's assured he's the starter, maybe is what I mean. Like he's gonna have to go in and fight every year. Maybe he's even fighting now for his job with Bailey Zappi. But like his career is on the line. I I agree with that. Some people are giving Adam Jones grief about that take on social media. What exactly is there to give grief about? Mac Jones's starting job is on the line. Mac Jones's career, I would say, is on the line as well. I do not think that's an exaggeration. It's another reason why if I were Mac, I'd want DeAndre Hopkins. If I were the Patriots, I'd want DeAndre Hopkins. Mac Jones's career is on the line here. It doesn't mean he'll be out of the league. Okay, Mac Jones will play in the NFL for a decade plus if he wants to. But his ability to be a starter and be a guaranteed starter is on life support, and a lot of it depends on this year. 
Because look at how this goes, right? Look at how this goes. Mac Jones, let's just say Mac Jones plays average this year. Average, okay? If he plays average, the Patriots have a huge decision to make on whether or not they want to pick up his fifth-year option. If he plays average to below average, I would say they do not pick up his fifth-year option, similar to the way that Daniel Jones didn't have his fifth-year option picked up in New York. So then, going into his fourth year, which would be 2024, Patriots aren't tied to him. If, if they don't pick up his fourth year, his fifth-year option, they could move him to the bench and they could go pick up a free agent quarterback. They could move him to the bench and go trade for a quarterback for someone who's going to move around the quarterback carousel next year. They could draft a quarterback and start that guy. Or they could draft a quarterback and start Mac next year for five games and give it to the next guy. So that's what's on the line this year. If Mac Jones plays great this year, he gets his fifth-year option exercised. He goes into year four as the clear starter. And now we're talking about new deals for Mac Jones. If he doesn't play well, we're talking about the fifth-year option being declined. Him going into the fourth year here, either as a bench guy or in a competition with somebody. And once that happens, you are one step away from, again, having your career on life support. Look, Geno Smith, it took him a decade to become a starter again. I mean, look at quarterbacks that were drafted high, first, second round, that didn't pan out. Okay? Christian Ponder, out of the league. Right? Out of the league. Paxton Lynch, out of the league. Brock Osweiler goes to, to Houston, I think got like half a year as a starter, out of the league. Once you are determined to be a washout, you don't get many chances. Sam Darnold goes to Carolina, battling it out now, right? Like, he may start games just like he did in Carolina this year, but he had to battle it out. Wasn't handed a whole lot in Carolina. Started at the beginning easily replaceable. Now in San Francisco, probably going to back up Brock Purdy if Brock Purdy's healthy. Okay? Sam Darnold, Mac Jones could be Sam Darnold. Baker Mayfield. Right? Baker Mayfield doesn't get his fifth year. He got his fifth year option picked up. Cleveland moved on anyways. Sent him to Carolina. Starts there, has to battle it out, easily replaceable. Gets cut. Goes to the Rams, can't stick there. Now he's given a job in Tampa, and he's going to have the job for a couple of weeks, and, like, and then you never know. So once you wash out of the team that drafted you, all bets are off. So Adam Jones is not wrong. If Mac Jones does it this year, he can become Daniel Jones. And you're talking about $40 million a year. If he doesn't do it this year, you're talking about him being Baker Mayfield or Sam Darnold, and there you are, Teddy Bridgewater, the guy who's the constant journeyman who's trying to hold off a young guy in every case that he goes. What Andy Dalton has become. Andy Dalton had a really good run in in uh, in Cincy. Mac Jones would be lucky to have that kind of run. But since he left Cincy, Andy Dalton's been where? Right? Andy Dalton's in Dallas. Andy Dalton is in New Orleans. And these guys are just trying to hold off everybody. They're injury fill-ins and that's it. What Adam Jones said is absolutely not wrong. Tex says, there you go. Uh, this is exactly what I said. Mac could, could uh, if he doesn't excel, could join a list of recently failed quarterbacks. Baker, Darnold, Trubisky, 
right? Look at Trubisky. Mitch Trubisky went to the playoffs twice in Chicago, right? He went twice. I think he won 10 games in Chicago. Won a division. They move on. Buffalo for the bench for a year, you never see him. Goes to Pittsburgh, gets a handful of starts, bench for Kenny Pickett, now a backup. That could very easily be Mac Jones. Once you wash out from the first place, you are your career is on life support. Look at RG3, what happened to him? Okay, Jared Goff has gotten lucky that he seems to have found a second home here in Detroit. That's rare. And that wouldn't necessarily be Mac. There's a lot on the line for Mac Jones this year. A lot on the line. It's the Brady Farkas Show brought to you by Fecto Homes on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Back to the Celtics. Eric Spolstra does not believe in momentum. I do. We'll talk about what he had to say about it. That's next on DEV. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. We talk about this a lot in sports. The idea of momentum. And do you does momentum exist? Do you believe in momentum? Does it exist in the game? Does it exist game to game? I believe it exists in both cases. I think it's pretty clear that momentum exists over the course of a game, right? Football game team can't get out of their own way, right? Like we see it all the time. Okay. Football team, uh, takes the kickoff out, ends up at the 15 yard line. Then they get a holding penalty. Now it's first and 15. Now the defense can pin their ears back. Now the quarterback gets sacked. Now it's second and 25. Then you throw a screen pass and you get nothing. It's third and 24. Then it's a bl- then big kickoff return. It, it things, things carry over on you. Things snowball on you in the NFL. I think basketball is the same way, right? You dribble it off your foot, team goes for a layup, turn it over again, team gets a three. Now the crowd's into it, and now now you can't get out of your own way. I think we all agree that momentum exists within the game. But does it exist game to game? Eric Spolstra, the head coach of the Miami Heat, does not believe that it does. He says one game has nothing to do with the other. Who cares about mood? Like, we have a gnarly group, so I, I think so much of that is overrated. Uh, it, it's a competitive series. Uh, you always expect, uh, you know, things to be uh, challenging in, in the conference finals. Uh, and, uh, you know, one game doesn't lead to the next game. Based on all the experience that we've had, it, it, it doesn't matter in the playoffs. It doesn't matter if you lose by whatever. Um, you know, we beat them by whatever in game three. It just doesn't matter. I, I disagree. I think that it does. I think momentum does matter. I think Eric Spolster is saying the right thing as a coach. I don't. I hope he doesn't actually believe that because momentum is a thing. It does exist, and it especially exists in basketball. This is not baseball, right? The saying in baseball is, oh, momentum is only as good as the next day's starting pitcher, right? If you come out and put up 12 runs on Thursday and then Shohei Otani pitches on Friday and he throws a two-hit shutout, well, he stopped all your momentum. It's not that way in basketball, okay? Basketball is a feel and rhythm sport, and all the players are the same. In baseball, the pitcher changes 
every single night. So you have a different set of dynamics. There's a same set of dynamics every day on a basketball court. So if Marcus Smart and Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and Derek White are all hot, then I got to think that they're going to that they're going to come out feeling good in game 6 as well. If Jimmy Butler is hot in game 1, I got to think he's going to come out in game 2. Can momentum be halted? Of course it can, but don't tell me that it doesn't matter. It does matter and the Celtics have it. Right? Now Miami has a built-in advantage in game 6. They are at home. That is what they can do to halt the momentum. But momentum is a thing. It does exist. And I believe that it... Texter says, I agree with Spolstra. Uh, Spolstra. You watch film and you learn how to change things up. Yeah, you can. You absolutely can learn how to change things up. You can watch film and make adjustments. That said, I think going into the game, I think the confidence the Celtics will be playing with is huge. The rhythm that they'll be playing with is huge. The belief that they will have is huge. Now, Miami can come out and squash that as a result of their adjustments. They can, but going into the game, I think the momentum is is an existing factor. The Celtics will have it. Jalen Brown will have it. Jason Tatum will have it. Smart will have it. White will have it. Joe Missoula will have it. There will be a confidence there. I think that's just coach speak, what Eric Spolstra says. Coaches make adjustments. Coaches can halt momentum. That's fair. That's fine. But going into a game, you're going to have to do a lot to try to halt that momentum because Boston has it in spades right now. I totally believe in that. Celtics win this game by 13 points. I think now they have a belief in what they're doing. They have a belief in what they're doing. Texter says, how much influence do Brad Stevens and Pat Riley have on the game planning? I would say none. I absolutely think none. Pat Riley has led Eric Spolstra coach for more than 15 years. Eric Spolstra has been a coach for the Miami Heat, head coach for more than 15 years. Pat Riley and Eric Spolstra might have conversations, but Pat Riley dictating what gets done? No. Not now. Maybe when Spolstra was in his first year, Maybe when Spolster was having an issue with getting LeBron and, and Wade and Bosch to play together in the same page that you know that first year the Heatles were together, maybe then, but not now. And Brad Stevens, I don't think, does that. I think Brad Stevens has made it very clear that he wants to empower the people in his organization. I don't believe that he dictated to Ime Udoka. I don't believe he dictates to Joe Mazzulla. Is he there as a resource? Sure. <clears throat> but I don't think that he's an overbearing presence coming down into the into the coach's office and saying, hey, you got to do this or you got to do that. I, I don't think Brad Stevens has any impact on what is being done. Could Missoula go to him and ask him a question? Of course he could. But I do not think it goes the other way where Brad comes down and, uh, and talks about it with him. Um, if Spolstra doesn't believe in momentum, then what? were games one, two, and three all about for Miami. I think it was momentum they built from trashing Milwaukee and New York and helped them get out to a 3 nothing lead against the Celtics. That's a trash statement, and he knows it. I think he knows it. I think he just is saying the right thing. 
the pressure is all on Miami. This is the other thing. If you don't believe in momentum, do you at least believe in pressure? And if you believe in pressure, don't you think that Miami has it right now? Look at where we're at right here. The Miami Heat are one win away from getting to their second final in four years. They're one win away from getting to their second final in four years. They clearly think they have unfinished business. That alone could weigh on you. They have gone, they have been the plucky underdog all season, all, all postseason long. And everybody has loved them. And they've flown under the radar. And everybody's bought into the story of the eight seed and the play-in team and all that. They have had a free ride when it comes to pressure this this playoffs. They've been able to to go through unheralded and undetected. Now, you get up 3-0, you're expected to close it out. Now, you're staring down the potential of being the first team in 151 tries to blow a three games to none lead. That matters. If you don't think momentum matters, don't you think that pressure matters? And at what point does pressure start to break you? Jason Tatum knows the pressure is on Miami. Uh, I mean, pressure on them, right? We down 3-0. Nobody thought we should, you know, we were going to win. So we playing free, playing confident. Uh, you know, we're ready to go down Miami. The pressure is on Miami. And if you're the Celtics, you want to keep applying that pressure. I don't believe that Jimmy Butler will feel pressure. I don't believe that Eric Spolstra will feel pressure. But... Can the Celtics get to the other guys? Can they get Duncan Robinson or Caleb Martin or Gabe Vincent, if he plays, to turn into a pumpkin? Can they get Kyle Lowry at this point in his career to turn into a pumpkin? Butler, I don't think, is phased. Spolstra, I don't think, is phased. The rest of the team, the Celtics, I would have to hope that the other guys are feeling it. And how could you not? I think the Heat know this is their chance. I think the Heat know that if they don't close this out on South Beach, they're not going to win. And when you think you only have one shot to do something, that has to weigh on you. That has to weigh on you. Now, that's what Spolstra said. How about what Butler had to say? We just got to play better, um, start the games off better on the starters, um, make it more difficult for them. They're in a the rhythm since the beginning of the game, but we're always going to stay positive knowing that we can and we will win this series, um, and we'll just have to close it out at home. We can and we will win this series. That's what Jimmy Butler says. That sounds like a guarantee to me. That sounds like a guarantee to me. That sounds like Celtics bulletin board material to me. Now, if I'm the Celtics in game six, here's what I'd be worried about. Jimmy Butler is smart. Jimmy Butler is calculated. Jimmy Butler just put the target on his back. And I think he's going to wear that target as a badge of honor. I think he knows that, hey, I need to put this team on my back again. So I think he's putting the energy on himself. I think he's trying to take the pressure off of his teammates. I think he's trying to put all the energy on him. And I think he's going to come out and try to justify that statement. 
So we saw fourth quarter Jimmy in game one and game two. Are we going to see that version of Butler in the first quarter in game six? That's what I would worry about if I were the Celtics. That he knows he's put a target on his back, and he knows that he is now putting the ball in his hands, and now I have to wonder what he's going to do with it. Because if I'm the Celtics, here's 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 what has to happen. In game six, the Celtics just need to be close early, right? What they cannot afford is Miami to come out and get up 18 to five in the first six minutes of the game, right? If Miami has their druthers about them, they would script the first quarter the Celtics got yesterday for themselves. If the Celtics exit the first quarter down 27-24, I'm not worried. If they end, end the first quarter down 27-14, to, to 14, then you'd be nervous. The Heat are going to come out with energy. They're going to have the home crowd. The crowd's going to rally behind them. Butler's going to play hard. He's going to put the team on his back. All that's true. If they get up 16 early in the first, you're, you're, you're screwed. But if you can weather the initial storm... Be down five, be down three, heck, even be up one. Then I got to feel like you've you've taken the punch. The best punch Miami can give will come from Jimmy Butler early, and will come from the crowd early. You withstand that. I think I think the Celtics got it. You know, I'm talking myself into it. I think they're going to win Game Six. I am talking myself into them creating history now. And I can't believe that I'm doing that because I was so down on this team on on Monday. But here I am. I'm talking myself into history now. I think they're going to do it. I think they're going to go to South Beach. And I think they're going to win. And I think we're going to have a game seven like on Monday night. Is that what it would be? I think Monday night. Can we verify that? Monday, Saturday. Would they play it on Memorial Day? Why wouldn't they play it on Memorial Day? Yeah, it would be Monday night. I think we're going to get that. And if we get to game seven, the Celtics are going to win it. Miami will not. Don't tell me momentum doesn't exist because if Eric, if Eric Spolster and Miami lose in game six, they ain't winning in game seven. They are not winning in game seven. Uh, Kevin says in football, teams make halftime adjustments. Well, yeah. Although I've heard halftime adjustments are wildly overrated. Halftime's only 15 minutes. It takes you like three minutes to get into halftime. Takes you three minutes to walk out. It only leaves you like five minutes to actually talk. I don't know. I never played football, but I'm saying that's what I hear. That's what uh, I think Peyton Manning came out and said that halftime secrets or halftime adjustments rather are not that uh, are not that um, not that helpful. Texter says I got the Celtics winning Game Six in clutch fashion late in the fourth quarter. That would be hard. That's the other thing that can scare the Celtics. The Celtics have not been good. Celtics have not been good in close games this playoffs, right? When it's been close, they've tended to wilt. When they've played great, they've just blown everybody out. So I think the Celtics need to be, you know, be within a shout at the end of the first quarter. But I don't know that I want them 89-87 with three and a half minutes to play or 105 to 103 with three and a half minutes to play. They have not been great in those end of game situations when the game is close. Key for the Celtics too, and this is I I undervalued this. 
the three-point shot for this team is huge. They're 10-2 and two, these playoffs when hitting more than 14 threes. 10-2, and two, or maybe it's 13 threes. I think I saw in their last 14 games when they hit 15 threes or more, they're 7-0. and oh. When they hit less than 15, they're 1-6 or something like that. The three-point shot is huge for this team. It's huge in the NBA period, but it's huge for this team. If they make them, they win. If they miss them, they don't. I read a stat that said, really, in every game this series, they're getting the exact same quality of look. They've just missed them in the game they've lost. They've made them in the games they've won. Shoot them, hit them, win. It's that simple. Game six is coming up tomorrow night, 8.30. I'll be watching it, as I'm sure all you will as well. On the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. We are brought to you by Fecto Homes. We'll get you the Red Sox lineup against the Diamondbacks and... Super agent Scott Boris wants to change something about Major League Baseball. We'll react to his interesting proposal. We'll do it next. Think you know sports better than Brady does? Text in with your thoughts at 802-585-3026. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Red Sox baseball tonight comes up 840 with the pregame show. 940 is the first pitch. Jazz with George Thomas comes up at 7 o'clock. Kind of leads us into Red Sox baseball. Interesting suggestion from super agent Scott Boris. Scott Boris was on the Baseball Isn't Boring podcast with Rob Bradford who works over at WEEI. He says he wants rosters expanded to like 27 or 28 players. And the reason why is because he believes pitchers are getting injured or will get injured because of the pitch clock. So he wants one to two more pitchers on a roster. He says that, you know, Pitchers are going out there and they're getting tired quicker. And when they get tired and they're still pitching, they tend to get hurt. So we need to take starting pitchers out earlier after four or five innings. And then we'll have more relievers to bring in. And now maybe starters are getting taken out earlier anyways. And the bullpens are thinner and we need more pitchers to cover for the bullpen arms. He's trying to keep innings down so that pitchers can can throw as hard as they can but won't get tired. That That's essentially what this is about. And I got to say, one, I disagree. And two, you have to look at where Scott Boris is coming from when he says this. Scott Boris is an agent. Scott Boris wants more clients who are in Major League Baseball. If he has more clients who are in Major League Baseball... More players that are his clients are getting major league contracts. When more players get major league contracts, he gets more money. So he has a financial interest in this. So understand where he's coming from. If we add one or two more pitchers to a roster, then a lot of them will have a chance to be his clients. They'll get major league salaries, and he'll get money on that. So just be aware. It doesn't make what what he's saying necessarily wrong. Just kind of vet the comments and understand that, there's that angle to it. Here's why I disagree, though. Buster Olney told me recently that 
a lot of veteran pitchers really haven't done a good job training for the pitch clock. And that is on you. Hey, that is on you. Whether I don't want to see any pitcher get hurt. Right? I don't want to see any pitcher who is working much faster than usual and is now tired and now is pitching the fifth inning and they're exhausted and because of that their mechanics go astray and because of that they get hurt. I don't want to see that. But you've known this was coming. And if you've never trained for it, then that is a you problem. You knew this was coming. You had all off-season to prepare your training. You had all off-season to throw bullpens like this. You had all off-season to get used to it. Heck, you had chances last year in anticipation of it happening this year to at least start the process of it all. And if you didn't take that, that is a you problem. I don't need to bail you out as a result of your inability to prepare. The other thing is this. A lot of the younger, there are at this point, this has been going on in the minor leagues now for several years. Okay, These rules have already been in the minors for several years, really aggressively in the minors for the last three or so, but they've been there for the last several. So as a result of that, a lot of the young pitchers who are up in baseball now have, for lack of a better word, grown up with these rules. They've acclimated. Okay, they're not the majority yet, right? We don't have every pitcher, you know, we're not at a point where like half the league is 26 or under at this point. But we have a good number of young pitchers that that grew up in professional baseball under this system. Right, look at my Mariners. Logan Gilbert, George Kirby. Look at the Orioles, Grayson Rodriguez. You look at the Red Sox team now, Brian Bayo. Okay, these guys have been playing this way. And as we get deeper into this, by a few years, we're going to have a league where predominantly the guys have grown up doing this and where the Chris Sales and the Corey Klubers are the outlier, right? Where the old, the Clayton Kershaws, those guys will be the outlier eventually. They're not yet, but they will be eventually. So I appreciate that Scott Boris wants pitchers kept safe. I want pitchers kept safe too. But I don't think that we need to bring in multiple new roster spots, especially in the next few years, because in the next few years, the the problem should theoretically not even be as bad as it might be now. Okay, right now, maybe there are guys getting hurt as a result of the pitch clock. I would not I, I would not sit here and say that Scott Boris is wrong. I would wonder why they are, because maybe they're not prepared. Maybe they didn't prepare. And I'm not gonna throw you a life jacket. But next year, the year after, when this when the Boris rule get adopted, we're gonna have a a pitching you know pitching collective where a lot of these guys have learned how to have have done this, have come up for it, have trained for it, and then it won't be necessary. So no, I wouldn't do this. I saw the comments by Kenley Jansen earlier this week, you know where he said he thinks guys are getting hurt and guys are getting fatigued and all that. I can be down with changing something about the pitch clock, right? 20 seconds at all times. Um, I saw a Boris in, uh, initiative, which was actually a, an okay idea, where once a guy gets to the third inning, it's 20 seconds all the time. So we kind of speed up the first two, but then in the third, when a guy's tiring, now he gets to 20 seconds. I could, I could be talked into that. But what I'm not going to be talked into is multiple extra roster spots just because you didn't do a good enough job preparing. And 
again, in the next few years, there's going to be a lot of guys who matriculated up through the minors playing this exact way. I don't want anybody to get injured, but you got to be able to be accountable for yourself. And that's where I'm at on this. So Scott Boris wants 27 or 28 players allowed so we can get on more pitchers. I just, I don't think so. He wants to see a 14 or a 15 man pitching staff to keep starters innings down. Here's the thing I would wonder. I don't think starters want their innings down because starters want to make money. In addition to wanting to be healthy, starters want to make money. So if a pitcher can prove that they can go six or seven innings, they want that. They don't want to be out after five. Because if they're out after five, they're less likely to get $150 million, right? They'll get $100 million. And I, I think pitchers want every dollar they can, so I think a lot of them are willing to take the risk because of the payday that it that it would come with. That's for sure. And I see a lot of pitchers right now. By the, I watched a game the other day. Logan Gilbert threw a, he threw eight innings, had like 79 pitches. So pitching in the pitch clock era, throwing hard and remaining healthy – Knock on wood, can still be done. Red Sox and Diamondbacks. Red Sox have lost four straight. They're 26 and 24. The Diamondbacks are 29 and 21. They are a lot better than any of us realize. We're going to get a look at them. Firsthand. Chris Sales on the mound tonight for the Sox, four and two with a 5.01 ERA, but he was excellent his last couple times out. Brandon Fott is the pitcher for Arizona, 0 and one with a 7.65. Sox change up the order a little bit today. Ramel Tapia leads off in center. Alex Verdugo's in right. Justin Turner's at third. Masataka Yoshida is the DH. Rob Refsnyder is in left. Tristan Casas is at first. Kike Hernandez is at shortstop, and Manuel Valdez is at second, and Connor Wong is the catcher. My question is, where is Rafael Devers? Rafael Devers, the Red Sox had an off day yesterday. Why is Rafael Devers not playing today? See if I can find an answer for you real quick on that. For the D-backs, Cattell Marte leads off. He's in second. He's hitting 279 with six homers and 29 RBIs. Batting second is Emmanuel Rivera. He's at third. Lourdes Scoriel Jr., the former Blue Jays, in left. Christian Walkers is slugging first baseman. He hits cleanup. Evan Longoria is the designated hitter. Corbin Carroll's at center. Nick, or, uh, yeah, in center. Nick Ahmed is at shortstop. In right field is Jake McCarthy. In at uh, catcher is Jose Herrera. See if we can find a quick answer on Devers. Go to my Twitter sources here. Anybody? Alex Spear of the Boston Globe. Do you have anything on Devers? Duran is out of the lineup. We know that. No Devers, though. No no uh, reasoning on Devers, I should say. I hope everybody has a great Memorial Day weekend. I hope everybody stays safe. I hope everybody has fun. I hope everybody remembers what Memorial Day is all about. Thank you to those people who have served. Thank you to those people who have given the ultimate sacrifice for allowing me to do this. I wouldn't be able to do it without your sacrifices. I thank you from the bottom of my heart for that. Everybody else, again, have fun. The barbecues, the baseball, all that. Enjoy the weekend. We'll be back on Monday. Remember, no Red Sox baseball, so we've got a full show on Monday, and uh, we will talk about the Celtics getting ready for Game 6, which is coming up tomorrow. Jazz with George Thomas is next. 
here on WDEV AM and FM.